0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at recruiting and consulting firm, RiderFlex. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone you know, please share this with them. And if you enjoy listening to our show, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button on the episodes. Finally, aside from our podcast, our day job here at RiderFlex is to provide recruiting, staffing, and consulting services. You can visit riderflex.com to learn more about us and get the information on the services we provide. And now a quick word from our sponsor and friends at Marketing 360.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand.
0: So Vince Meow Wolf. You know, when I, uh, I first of all, I think I saw the building going up like down by the stadium in Denver. Right. I think that's yeah, the yeah. first time. And uh, I remember driving by going, OK, what the hell is that? I don't know what that is. What, what is that? <laughs> so, you know, then I kind of ask around I'm like, what's going on with that. And then I, I looked up some information and then my partner, Scott at Rider Flex, he calls me. And he's like, hey, man, this is a pretty cool deal. Here's the situation. He said, "We should we should get Vince on the podcast." And I said, "Okay, cool, let's do it." And so then I studied to study it, at, you know, the, everything about me. I with more, and looked up you, and watched some podcast interviews. And so, great story, man. Looking thanks. looking forward to uh, getting into it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's uh, it's been a wild ride. We're on a crazy wave, <laughs> like the way that it feels like is like we're out to surf, and you know, hadn't really learned how to surf yet. And then out of nowhere, this huge wave comes and we have we have to make a decision like we either ride the wave or we don't. And then it gets to a certain point where like you can't bail, you know, so the wave just keeps going it keeps crest, you know, cresting. And that's kind of how it feels. It's like continues to just crest. So um,
0: my my visual, when I think about you and I read the story, I've already I've already put you in a visual in my own mind. I'm like, okay, was this just like a bunch of hippies in Santa Fe, like doing (laughs) mushrooms? doing mushrooms and dropping acid and like playing around with art and, and like, Hey, and they're like, Hey man, we should like start a business. Like, was that like, that's my vision. I don't know. Is that close?
1: <laughs> um, you know, I think like we were a bunch of 20 something artists who, <laughs> you know, were doing all sorts of things in our lives. You mainly mm-hmm. work like restaurants and hotels. Like that was, what took, took up most of our time here. Got you. Um, but you know, I think like, the business side of it came out of like necessity, you you know, we just weren't going to continue on as a group and Meow Wolf as an entity after seven years of doing projects together, it was, it was going to go, it was going to go like by the wayside Mm -hmm. and unless we figured out a way to make it sustainable. And so the business kind of came out of a necessity. We never really meant for it to be a business, I see, but you know, like we've, we've also been following the course that Meow Wolf, needs to take to survive and to create really big transformative work in the world. We've been following its course, you know, and like that's kind of how it feels is like the Meow Wolf entity is utilizing us for its needs. I see. Tell me
0: before we, uh, let's come back to Meow Wolf. I want to know about your childhood, uh, your parents, your siblings, where you grew up. Give me, I want to know the personal stuff. Give it, give it to me. Oh, man.
1: Thanks. Well, yeah, I, I grew up here in Santa Fe, New Mexico Small okay. town, hundred thousand people. You know, um, yeah. gorgeous yeah. one of the best one of the best cities in the world, honestly. But uh, my parents were public school teachers. I grew up like, you know, I would say middle class, but it was probably lower than that. Um, yeah. You know, and and two sisters, pretty modest upbringing. Okay. I hated, I hated school. <clears throat> you know, I had a real hard time with school, and I had a I had a hard time with just like, I don't know, um, fitting in or like the. Uh, authority, uh, just had a hard time with like school and social time. I was a closeted, you know, a closeted gay kid in high school, <laughs> junior high gotcha. And, gotcha. You know, and and also an athlete. So I was like the closeted basketball player in the locker room, you know, and it was all my friends were athletes. And so was, I, I, I had this weird, you know, grow, you know, growing up this weird process of growing up that involved like a lot of shame and a lot of like, wow, um, oh. not wanting. Just not wanting to try to fit in because I knew that I never would, or something like that. You know.
0: When did you? When did you like tell your friends and parents? Like when did it become? You know, whenever when all your friends knew. Um,
1: I think I came out to the first person. Like I, I, I vocalized to the first person when I was like seventeen, and then my, Ooh, my wow. parents not until I was like in my mid twenties. I mean, they, they, they really, did. really. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. It took a while.
0: Wow. So <laughs> yeah. yeah Hi. Yeah. Kind of keeping that, like you said, closeted during that your teenage years that had to shape you in a lot of ways that must've been super difficult.
1: Yeah. Very I mean, difficult. I think, I think I, I looked at the world from an outsider's perspective, you know, like I, I I'm not a part of that. Like I'm, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I watched I watched the world from my television, you know, was was the way that it felt, you know, and and largely was just kind of like in my own in my own place, uh, in my own set of ethos and my own set of like value Mm. systems Mm. Mm. that was not quite connected to the value systems out in society. And I think that was largely driven because I didn't feel like I was an accepted part of society. Interesting. Were your parents, if you don't mind me asking, were they? Are they uh,
0: left or right? Are they super conservative? Or are they super open and liberal? And what what? How, based on based on that answer, and then I kind of know maybe how they react. No, they're I'm not
1: sure. no, they're super, they're they they're super accepting and like you know, okay, they're, cool. they're, they're very cool. left now. They probably cool. voted right cool. in the '80s, but they're pretty. Okay. they're very left now. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. So
0: you're All right, cool. So they were accepting and all oh, yeah, that, for sure. yeah, that. Yeah. That's often, that's awesome. Okay. So, and then you had, you, you had problems with authority. You pushed back a little, did you get in trouble? Were you getting any jail time? Did you get kicked out of the house? Anything, anything cool?
1: <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Well, I didn't go to class. I, I I basically barely graduated high school. So I was practically a high school dropout. I didn't go to college. <laughs> I stuck around Santa Fe and kind of just focused on Building social momentum and and kind of getting over my own insecurities, and then and then how that then related to other people in my life, and how I could build social momentum, be be a good friend, be a leader in the social space, and that kind of like then translated into then throwing parties. So I was always throwing parties when I was younger in my twenties, and okay, that, that was like the first time that I started dealing with um, budgets because I would <laughs> I would actually throw parties that I charged for. And we, you know, bought a certain amount of alcohol for, and then we would charge at the door and pay DJs and decorate the space. And so it was kind of like early party, early,
0: early, early event management right there.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And, but like, you know, most of the time I didn't want to work either. I did not want to work like a normal job. Um, It was really hard for me to keep like a, it was all service, service industry work. And I, it was hard for me to keep, keep employment. So then I got into like shoplifting. And we're like, holy! Where were
0: you? Hold on, can I ask real quick? Where were you living though? Were you like like, jumping around with friends, or still living at home, or what what were Uh, were
1: you doing? It was, it was like I'd live, I'd live on my own and and with roommates for as long as I could, but then there would be a lot of times where I just had to go back to mom and dad and be like, hey, I have to move in. Okay, all right, kind of a mixture. Okay, all right, cool. Like into my thirties, like I was living at my parents' house. Like at the time, at the same time that I was starting the meow wolf business, like I was talking to George R. R. Martin, the, the author of Game of Thrones, which we will get to. But I was like in conversation with him
0: when you were living together. at home. Yeah. When okay, man, I can't even imagine you're getting busted for shoplifting. What's your what's your dad? Is your dad like giving you a bunch of shit? Is he like is he like son? Get your shit together. Is there a bunch of those conversations?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, my parents had sort of like given not not given up on me because like they never gave up on me, but they basically just said like all right Vince is gonna do his thing. And they 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 said that from the time that I was like 15 or 16 years old. They just kind of went hands off on it all. Okay. okay. And you know it sucked. Like yeah of course it sucked. I was like, you know, I, I got I got caught shoplifting when I was 32 years old. <laughs> right. You know, so it wasn't like I was some dumb kid. Like I was an adult. <laughs> and it was like it was very embarrassing. It was very embarrassing.
0: Did you get arrested?
1: mm-hmm
0: yeah. a couple I didn't know. like do, do they give ticket i didn't know if they give like t- citations or they actually like take you downtown i don't know
1: <laughs> they're missing <laughs> they're misdemeanors luckily one of, okay. one, of the, one of the shoplifting moments like uh i got caught with 495 dollars worth of stuff and which was five dollars away from it being For- a felony <laughs> And, uh, you, you didn't know that at the time, right? You just got lucky. Wow. The way that I found out was I was in, I was in the little like holding cell and the cop was, was going through it and he gets on the phone and he asks his, his superior, he says, Hey, when, when we're looking at, uh, how much, you know, how much to to write down here, do we include tax? (laughs) And then I just hear him say, fuck, damn it. And then I asked him what, what, what happened? He's like, we don't include tax. If we include a tax, then it would have been a felony. So he was like actually hoping that he could include tax so that he can make it a felony, you know? Um, so yeah, that's... Wow. I, I, wasn't, I actually went into a 12-step uh, program, like a 12-step shoplifting anonymous program. Are you serious? Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: Well, did you have... Were there any drug or alcohol addictions at this time? Any kind of uh, other addictions or no?
1: No, honestly, I was... The, the main reason I was shoplifting was... To sub, was to buy materials, was to then sell the stuff that I was shoplifting for cash to then buy materials for Meow Wolf projects. Wow, uh, the honest truth.
0: Wow, that is
1: crazy. I mean,
0: wouldn't it be interesting if there's like some cop in Santa Fe that sees your picture about Meow Wolf and he's like, "Wait a minute, I, like I remember arresting that guy." <laughs> Dude,
1: I have a crazy story about that. Like I was so <laughs> fast forward. Fast forward like you know to 2019, and House of Eternal Return has been open for three years in Santa Fe. We're like a profitable business, <laughs> like real you know, millions of dollars. But we're out trying to raise money because we're trying to expand into Vegas and expand into Denver. And we have a big team here in Santa Fe to try to raise money for. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a tough, it was a really tough financial raise. Like it was a, it was a mm-hmm. tough story to try to sell to an investor. A lot of risk, and you, you see the building in Denver. It's like this shit's crazy. So. <laughs> But during that process, there was like, um, a group that wanted to come in and provide some debt. And okay. so we go through this entire diligence process with them. It's a large amount of debt that they're bringing in. And, um, I get a call. They're, they're yeah, I know where he's like, he's <laughs> like, uh, Vince, I have something to talk to you about. I need you to fly to New York and we need to talk in person. And so I fly to New York, I go to his like top floor Manhattan office I'm sitting there in this conference room overlooking, you know, Manhattan. And he walks in and he says, tell me about the shoplifting. And I had to then go into this story about the last time I got caught, which like the last time I got caught, there was a cop involved who um, I told him, I said, Google my name. I was, I was, explaining what I did. I was like, I'm this guy. I, I work for this group called Meow Wolf. We do programs inside of public schools. Like I'm just stealing stuff because I'm trying to bring in money for materials and he didn't believe me. I said, go- Google my name. So he Googles it and he, and he like is reading an article about me and he starts literally crying. Like the cop starts crying and he's like, what are you doing with your life? Uh, he's wow. like, I don't want to arrest you. I don't want to arrest you. He calls wow. his sergeant wow. and he asks his sergeant if he can let me go. And sergeant says, no, man, you caught him shoplifting. You have to arrest him. So <laughs> that cop then like stuck with me, got me into this program, showed up with the judge, like stuck with me for like a good, like year after this happened and just kept kind of being a mentor for me. For that like is so year. cool. That is so yeah. cool. So I tell this, this story to the, to the debt group and just like, straight, they're not no reaction. They just straight face say, well, can we talk to the cop? And this was like <laughs> 10 years before. So then I have to like hunt down this cop. I call the <laughs> cop, I'm like, do you remember me? He's like, yeah, i like vaguely remember you. Yeah, I, I do. I was like, well, This group in New York needs to talk to you. And this is the story that I remember. Is that what you remember? He's like, yeah, that's pretty much what I remember. So I had to connect them, have the cop talk to this. It's like, it was a lot. I've had to, I've had to like reveal all this stuff when I go out and raise money because it's like, a. yep. They're going to find out. Yeah. They're going to dig. I mean, they're going to know everything about
0: you. Right. They're going to, they're going to dig in and find out anyway. (laughs) Totally. Wow, what that is interesting. So a troubled, we'll call it. I don't know. I guess a troubled young man, trying to find himself. Yeah. Uh, bending some rules to to make things happen, and now here you are. Yeah. Of this multi-million-dollar, you know, outfit with three is three locations now. Right now, yeah, Vegas, Denver, true. Santa Fe. Yeah. How about that? What, what a story, bro. Ho- holy cow. Okay. Yeah. Is that the worst, is that the worst thing you, is that the worst thing you did right there? Is there any other, any, any, okay. okay, All right. Yeah. You got busted with yeah. like a cute, like a kilo in your trunk or something. No,
1: <laughs> no. Luckily, luckily there's, there's never, never been like issues around that, but like, yeah, no, you know, no business, no business education. Like, you know, but what's what, what I draw from this is that there's so many kids out there who don't feel like they're they're, they want to partake in the existing system Mm -hmm. and they want to figure out their own path Mm -hmm. but then what that tends to lead to is like crime of some sort but that there, but that within that personality within that personality archetype is also this like is an entrepreneur someone who's like wants to figure out a way to self-generate to build their own system you know and and there's the, you know, there's probably a lot of people who were putting behind bars who have like insane, really special skill sets that can actually like produce jobs and make really cool shit happen in the world. You know what I mean? It's I totally, I totally
0: agree. The, the definition of entrepreneur and criminal is almost the same thing. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're in business for yourself. You're, I mean, there's so many things that, that relate. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There, you probably a ton of guys like that. Yeah. that have so, much, so much potential.
1: You're thinking, I mean, you have to think outside the box, you have to think outside of existing paradigm, which like for so many people that that tends to be like breaking rules, but for a good good entrepreneur, you like, you know, which, which rules to break or how to break rules in a way that's like legal and in a way that it's like advantageous, you know. Um, but that that's not very clear when you're growing up. When you're growing up, like breaking rules is breaking rules and you break stupid rules too, you know, ones that are illegal, like shoplifting. So are your,
0: are your sisters, like when you get together for Thanksgiving with your folks over, are your sisters like,
1: wow, I cannot believe you. <laughs> <laughs> I think that like my whole family is just sort of like, yeah, I can't believe this is the result of this story, you know,
0: <laughs> I was, so- I was,
1: dude, I was delivering food for like 12 bucks an hour right 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 before like a year before we opened house of eternal return you know it's like it's been a radical shift
0: by the way on that topic and then i want to come back to the early stages of Meow Wolf. but on that topic when i see especially an older gentleman or something hustling bringing me pizza you know getting out of his car i saw this the other day it really touched my my heart you know the 65 year old guy he's got a bad limp You know, he gets out of his car, he's hustling, he's delivering pizza to my house. I told my wife, I said, you know, I said that right there, that right there is an example of hustle and what it takes to just do whatever it takes to survive. I have a uh, soft spot for line workers, kitchen workers, waitresses, restaurants. That is a that's a tough business, man. Holy cow. That is a tough
1: I tip like crazy. Like if there's me anything too. I want to be remembered for, it's like that I tipped really well. You know what I mean? I'm the same.
0: I'm the same. So so all right. So you and your friends. Let, let's go back here a little bit. So so yeah. Are you getting together? Like you and some artists are kind of hanging out, and you're starting to produce. Walk me through some of that early stuff. When when yeah. and then when you're like, okay, wait a minute, this could be a business. Walk me through that.
1: Yeah. Well, it was it was a social group. So, like, I, I moved I moved back to Santa Fe. as in Portland for a year. I moved back to Santa Fe, and I started to like really just get focused on doing projects and doing okay. projects together. Like all the social momentum and all the social skills, social tools that I had learned in my early twenties, I started to apply towards like collaborative projects. And we lived together in this sort of like uh, this compound uh, oh. called the called the quadruplex, and okay. we called ourselves the epileptic pterodactyl at that time. <laughs> And (laughs) we would do like (laughs) experimental theater and like record music and do just like weird things together as this group of like 15 people. And that then sort of converted into, we started doing music shows inside of one of our friend's basements. And the show started getting like really popular, so popular that the cops would come every time we throw a show. And we realized, okay, we have all this kind of momentum as a social group. And we have this music venue that has started to like get some traction or this music promotions business that's getting traction, not, not business, but movement. And yeah. but then we finally just like, I, I got, I got, re- I got fired from a job that I was working. And I, um, was sitting on the, a curb, uh, eating a breakfast burrito. And I looked up and there was a sign that said for lease. And so I called the number. And I asked like, how much would it cost for us to rent this building? And, and the woman on the other, on the other end said $900 a month. I was like, man, we could, we could afford that. Like I could pull 20 people together and we could afford 900 bucks a month. And so that night I called all, you know, all my friends together and some people who I hadn't known before um, the artists that I knew of. And I just said, Hey, do you guys want to start an art collective? And um, the, everybody basically agreed to it. And that night we then, chose our name out of a hat meow came out of one hat wolf came out of another hat i
0: see okay interesting i was wondering Uh, all right you were thinking thinking when i get the building it's an art collective slash music venue slash place place for us to hang out Were, were you thinking were you thinking this is our place to hang out or were you thinking we're going to do events here and charge people to get in
1: we knew that we'd have to charge something to get into like the music shows because we needed to pay the band and, you know, stuff like that. So we had, you know, some amount of like that thinking. But okay. with regards okay. to the art shows, you know, once we started making shows inside of the space, which consisted of basically pulling like materials out of dumpsters and stapling them to the wall and then putting Christmas on <laughs> up, like that was legitimately what we we're doing. We would go to the Salvation Army dumpster like once a week and just pull a bunch of really great materials out of the Salvation Army (laughs) dumpster. That is so good, man. Okay, let me – that is so
0: good. Let me ask you this. Is there any like operating agreement or LLC or any any, like business – is there any like
1: official – Okay. Not at that time. No, not well, at who that signed, time. Who
0: signed the lease then? Who was responsible for the lease?
1: Uh, one of my friends, Megan Burns, signed the first lease, and then uh, one of the co-founders of me, I Matt King, signed the second lease. <laughs> okay. Okay. <So> yeah, <laughs> individuals, individuals taking on the responsibility of the lease. You know. Um, All right. So yeah, you're going to good. You're
0: going to Goodwill. You're bringing back stuff. You're stapling yeah. it up, and now you're having music events, and now you're charging people to get in. Are you make When do you start making enough to pay the rent? Is that right away?
1: No, like we didn't. So that was a thing. It was like for, for the, the first two years, we didn't make enough to, to pay the rent. In fact, like people like Matt King or Megan had to cover the rent out of their own pocket. And Matt, especially Matt, one of our co-founders is like covering huge amounts out of his own pocket. And it wasn't until I threw this like big uh, dance party called Super Power Dance Destroyer. I threw it at the W, and we raised like $1,000 that night out of just charging people for this like 300, 400 person dance party. And I was like, hey, Matt, I think we can keep doing this. And then this is going to cover rent. And it was like when we started to think about, you know, a little bit more of a sustainable model. But that was like three or four years into it all. And uh, meanwhile, everybody's still working other jobs to like
0: pay their own bills and eat and all these other things, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, we're like working. We're like working jobs from like you know eleven a.m. to seven p.m. and then we're and then we're going straight over to Meow Wolf, spending all the money we made at work or a lot of the money we made at work on materials to then build these weird like immersive like immersive environments. That was was there
0: like a a a distinct pivot point or moment or was there something that happened where where either you got a specific artist or you had a specific event or somebody got involved where it like, boom, all of a sudden you kind of turned the corner? There are a few of them. Uh, okay.
1: One was like, one was a, a, a theater piece that we did um, where, we, where, where we we did an offsite theater piece. It ran for six nights. It was a big epic, like live theater performance thing. We charged $25 a, a head. We sold out all six shows. It was a really legit, like, production that got a ton of really great reviews in town that sort of started to inform that uh, inform us that we could do high quality things and then we followed up that project with this other project where we built this giant ship and this was a really pivotal moment where we built this giant ship inside of a gallery um inside of this like uh old airplane hangar that was converted into a an, an art space an art gallery and it was like 70 feet long 18 feet high, two floors, this massive ship okay. um, took like actual architectural, you know, uh, understanding to build engineering, understanding to build. And then we kept it open for three months and it was called the due return. And we, we had a suggested donation of $10 a, a person and we had 25,000 people come through the door. So we, we had like a couple hundred thousand dollars on hand. Oh, wow a really pivotal moment, pivotal moment during that project was that this, uh, this mother came up to me and was like, so appreciative of the project. And she said, you know, this is the only thing that has pulled my son away from video games all summer long. (laughs) And that's, she told that to me. And that's when, when like the light bulb went off in my head, I was like, Holy shit. Like Yes, a twelve-year-old boy would rather come to meow wolf than play video games. That's a big deal.
0: That's a big deal. Yep. Okay, that is a moment right there where you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We can do. We can do creative, artistic things that even young people and teenagers want to come see. Okay. Now now this is a breakthrough. Yeah. That is a major moment. Okay. So that was kind of like
1: prototype moment, you know, where you're like, Oh my God, the prototype works, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so then from that point forward, I started to just jot down on the back of napkins and on, you know, simple spreadsheets, a business plan of sorts. Mm -hmm. Like how many people can we expect to come through the door? How much is this project going to cost if we did something permanent? Like what if we did something permanent rather than temporary? Mm -hmm. And that, that took two or three years, like from the time that we started thinking those in those terms to then when we actually started to like
0: move towards a, a project.
1: were you raising cash yet or no? No, you weren't
0: you no. had raise, but no, you got, we when had did that. when did when did you get the grant? I saw something about a grant.
1: Was that later on? We got yeah, well, we got a grant from Burning Man actually. Um, oh. to, do, oh. to do a project called Omega Mart. It was the first, it was the, one of the first iterations of Omega Mart back in 2012 and Burning Man supported that project with like a, okay. a small grant. I see, I see. Okay, all right. Okay. So when, had, and- it was like, we had like this, like right after the right after the boat, you know, we had a 100 people involved. We had made, just made $200,000. We still weren't an entity. We were still like just a name and we're like, we have this money. I, you know, I, I had all the money just like stashed in shoe shoeboxes underneath my... <laughs> My bed, because I didn't want to deposit into a bank because we didn't we weren't a legit entity yet. And so we had these like we had months and months and months of these like existential arguments over what should happen moving forward. With oh with, right, or like burn the money. Some people like throw it in a pile and let's burn it, you know. Mm. Um, and and it was it was really painful. But we came out of that basically with the. Um, approval of everybody that we were going to form a company and that that company was going to be founded by these, or that the, the members of that company were going to be these five people. Um, no, I,
0: take- I, I'm thinking about the boat for a second. I'm like, wait a minute. So you probably didn't have like any like liability insurance or like any, like none of that. Right. Like if no. some parent would have gotten hurt back then, like it would have been, it would have been over. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. Now the, the interesting burn the money thing. So <laughs> I, I I love so, so people that want to do quote the right thing for society and the world and the planet, and they want to just help and give back and they, you know, capitalism is evil and blah, blah, blah. It, the reality is if you want it to keep going, you, it, it takes money. I mean, I, I don't care what, what you, you, you gotta have, you gotta have some money to keep it going period. So yeah, you're, I can see you, you're like, yeah, that's cool, but no, we need this cash.
1: <laughs> totally. I mean, what I learned, you know, what really helps with the whole like, cause I was pretty anti capitalism for a long period of my, of my life and um, converting, you know, into a business person. A key right. aspect of that for me was learning that like money is a uh, money and capitalism is a, value system it it's a way to exchange value and it's not the it's not the value system it's not it's not the the money itself that is evil it's right. the value that people use the money for that are evil like it's it's a it's an innate it's an innate object that exchanges value and if you want to like mm. if you want to go after capitalism really you should be checking your your own value and other people's values in the mm. world because like people can use money for really good values too. That's right, buddy. Bingo, man. Great.
0: Yep. Excellent. Summary. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Okay. All right. So now you, after two months, you're like, okay, we got to have an operating agreement and here's who's in what all this stuff finally gets ironed out. Yeah. (laughs) Did they, were they like venture in charge, like your captain or were there arguments over captain who's going to be captain and all that too? Or would that kind of naturally fell into place? Cause
1: uh, we, had this, we had this designation called core member, and there were like five or six core members identified. And those were people who like had led the process for years and years and years, you know, and okay. it was identified by the entire group. Like, yes, you guys are the core members. And so we then kind of took the core members, then moved into a place of, you know, actual, you know, fundraising and starting the business and talking with George R. R. Martin and getting a lease on the building. And, um, you know, that was... A couple of years after we formed, we first formed the business, but it was, um, you know, that was obviously the big moment was learning how to raise capital. And
0: what was that like for you the first time you sat across the table from a rich person and said, hey, man, can you write me a check?
1: <laughs> the worst. It was so awkward. Like my, my relationship to money made it so awkward, you know, like I, I was ashamed to ask for money. It I felt a little yeah, yeah. embarrassment. Yeah. You know, and, and every investor just says, like, do you believe in the project that you're doing? Yes. Do you think the project's going to make money money back for the investor? Yes. OK, then you should feel proud of the fact that you're giving this investor an opportunity to invest in your in your in your concept. There shouldn't be any around it at all. You know, I can
0: I can just hear that guy in New York. He goes over and he tells his partners, he's like one of the, one of the partners is like, wait a minute. We're going to give this guy cat. Didn't this guy just, he just stole something. And now we want to write this guy a check. I know. <laughs> totally, man. I know. Are you, um, uh, who, what's the ownership like? I don't know if you can share, like, are you and the founders, you guys still have control of the cap table or have, or have you taken on enough cash now to where, is there a VC firm, PE firm and you guys. Yeah. Are-
1: there's a, there's a private, there's a private equity firm that, that has uh, come in on a series A and a series B uh, okay. round of financing. And in order okay. to get Denver open, Vegas open, and then also to keep us alive during COVID, you know, which it, it hit us yeah. especially hard. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like closed closed space indoors, <laughs> like lots of people <laughs> is the worst events, so,
0: events indoors. Okay, yeah, you got hit the hardest. You were in the special club.
1: <laughs> but They're they're a they're a badass private equity firm out of New York. Um, okay. Had, okay. Like, has retained a lot of the existing leadership, uh, all the existing leadership, all the existing board members. They've, they've really like, you know, worked with the founders. Um, they're awesome. They're awesome. Okay, so, you know, we don't, we don't have control of the cap table. Um, you know, but, yeah. but it's, yeah. You know, still- what was that like really
0: quick? Can you give advice for uh, aspiring entrepreneurs or young business owners where they're still in quote in control of the cap table, but Sure. They're, looking at, they're looking to take on cash, but they're laying in bed at night going, damn, if I do that, I have to give up 51%. Oh, I don't know if I want
1: to. I'm scared. Yeah. What, what, what's your advice there? Well, I have a lot of advice there. First, like control of the company and uh, percentage ownership are not the same. So you, you can take on capital, sell equity, have less than 50% of your company, but still have, have control of the company. That's tell us uh, and tell us how I know how that, I know how that works personally, but share that with the group. I think this is great advice. Go for it. I mean, be, you know, put, put put yourself and the people around you in positions of leadership, you know, have be, be, be the CEO or have one of your founders, the CEO, um, have your operating agreement point towards the CEO, making, you know, all of the major decisions, retain board seats, you know, so like you can, even though you don't have 50% of the company anymore, you can still retain the majority of board seats if you, bring on the right type of investment or, you know, strike a right, the right kind of deal. So there's yeah. a lot of ways to do that. And, and I would say like, there's way too much fear for most entrepreneurs about dilution. And it shouldn't, you shouldn't have fear around dilution. You should have, you, you should be working towards growing the pie. So right. like if, if you own, you know, instead of being worried about owning 51% of a $5 million company, you should yeah. be looking at owning 1% of a $10 billion company, like that, that makes more sense. And it takes dilution to do that. So like you never worry about dilution um, when you're Mm -hmm. growing a company, you know, good advice, good, good advice. Now, there had
0: to be, I'm sure at this point, there's got there had to be a couple of phone calls with the New York guys where they're like, Hey, we want you to do this. And you're like, no, I really don't want to. (laughs)
1: Uh, we were in a pretty tough situation like we basically had signed leases in vegas and denver and then had to go and raise money for the projects and had already hired the team and started working on these projects so we we were in need of the project budgets in order to just keep the team that we'd hired you know to keep them around so we we were in a pretty tough situation and we went out to raids for like 18 months and and it was really hard to find anyone who was willing to bite. and then this group came in like Worked fast, wrote a you know wrote a check large enough to support the company um, to get Vegas and Denver open, and there was never a moment where I was like, no, I don't want to do this. Like I was <laughs> all, all in with these guys. The moment that I met them, I was all in with them. That's so cool. Really quick for the listeners,
0: let's do this. Give us in case there's somebody out there that doesn't know what Meow Wolf is. And by the way, for everybody, it's meowmeowwolf.com. Meowwolf.com. meowwolf.com. Um, give us the three minute elevator. What is Meow Wolf? Go for it.
1: Um, We create large scale, immersive storytelling experiences uh, that you walk through, explore through, kind of um, experience the story like in first person. And it's all done with like multimedia, visually striking art kind of as the as the backdrop. So, you know, it's like walking inside of a sci-fi story, a sci-fi novel or something. You're walking through it inside of it. Cool. Very cool. And you buy tickets. Can you get season passes? How does all that work? In Santa Fe, you can get season passes. In Vegas and Denver, you can't. um, But there's like daily tickets. You can, you know, buy a ticket for a a certain time slot. And then you can stay for as long as you want. So if you want to go to Meow Wolf and hang out for eight hours inside of this like crazy imaginative fictional world, you're totally welcome to. Okay. Is there a bar? That's, that's, That's key for me. All right we have this bar <laughs> in each of our exhibits we have a bar so you right. can definitely have a drink and uh and then we do music shows we throw a lot of music shows inside of the exhibition so we're we're a big events uh promotions company
0: ah uh, do oh do you make more money on the events than you do the tickets from people walking in oh, no no, no. The, the
1: tickets are like 70 80% of of our of our revenue okay and uh hopefully
0: uh are we are we moving forward with covid like you don't you don't think we're going backwards
1: do you you, you think we're going to, you think you think we're okay I, I don't think we're going I don't think we're going backwards unless a new variant know. unless a new variant comes out like but I don't see us going backwards I mean like the the antibodies plus the vaccines at this point are are going to stay keep this stabilized it seems for you to survive first
0: of all first of all to get this thing built from where you brought it from uh, uh, something that's brand new to the world basically, and then get c- cash raised at, through COVID and survive COVID and be where you're at, bro. I mean, wow. I mean, seriously, what, what, what a story. And, and what's interesting too, is I have talked to people that, that know of course what Meow Wolf is or, and all this. And it's, you're, you're a little bit like one of those, uh, uh, pop stars where everybody thinks boom you just did it overnight it's like oh yeah they were just a success overnight and i'm like no that's not the story there was many years of sacrifice
1: for well, all yeah. those guys you know yeah, overnight, an overnight success that took 13 years yeah. of like really <laughs> difficult work of like being yes. broke as broke as broke man like all of us yes. none of us come from money we were broke we were like scraping to get by to keep this meow thing going, man. I mean, it was, yeah. it was a real, a real struggle, a real passion project for like a decade. I
0: bet when you now pay yourself a halfway decent salary and you you have a little bit of money to buy something, I bet you really just cherish like like for you, it's probably you buy a new TV or you buy a new car or whatever, and for, even to this day, you're probably like, man, this. This is special. Like you don't take that for granted, I'm assuming.
1: Man, I especially when I like I, I love to go places, I love to have experiences with my friends. Like that's really like the the golden, the golden aspect of life for me is, is having amazing experiences with, with loved ones. Cool. And cool. there's when we're doing that and we're, you know, we, we have a beautiful view and we are drinking a nice drink and we're eating some nice cheese and crackers or something. It's like I will, I will stop what's happening and like make sure that everybody knows. How awesome the moment is. That's you know? cool. Like, You've know, cool. you got to. Like, if not, then what else are you? It's like, what else are you living for? Right. You know? right? You've got to stop <laughs> yourself and be like, this is the thing that I wanted to do, that life is about. You know, it's it, for me, it's like, it's going to make dying more, more, you know, it's going to make it easier if I recognize in the moment that I'm having these premium experiences it's gonna make death that much more like digestible which
0: couldn't agree more couldn't couldn't agree more i'm gonna ask you one more thing uh one more i know we're out of time damn i could talk to you I should have scheduled two hours damn it. Keep I, talking. I, I um I keep talking i'm not oh, keep talking. okay i'll go i'm gonna go a little bit further i uh one of the things you just mentioned about experiences i heard this great quote uh from this lady it was on a youtube video so i can't give credit i can't remember what it was but she said i don't want my life to be dictated by things i want my life to be dictated by the experiences i'm chasing absolutely and i was okay that is powerful you she is absolutely right and you're right you're saying the same thing right like life is about experiences when you're seventy six years old, which is the average age, age of death in the United States seventy six. When you're seventy six and you're getting ready to go, I, I, it, it, you're going to be laying there thinking about the experiences and the relationship. You ain't going to be thinking about the little material things that you had. <laughs> Absolutely,
1: and that's actually it's it's cool that you bring that up because that's the that's, that's the entire moral of the Omega Mart story in Vegas. It's like Great. the Omega Mart story in Vegas presents as a grocery store in the front end and it has 300 products that we created. They're all absurd and funny. You can actually buy them, but it's just like, it's a, it's a cacophony of absurdity going on inside of this grocery store, a bunch of things that you can buy. And gotcha. then, but really the goal or like the, the, the moral is like go beyond the store and go to the experience directly. Like the buying of a thing is, is sort of like a, um, it's, it's a, it's a little bit of a cover or a little bit of like a racket going on for you, where you buy a thing and it makes you feel like you've experienced something because you bought a thing, but it's like move beyond that and go, just go directly to experience. That's what you want anyway.
0: You know, it is,
1: it's, yeah, it is.
0: I think millennials, by the way, do a much better job of that. The young people in general, I really feel a, a shift and we're, you know, our day job at RyderFlex, we're, no, we don't just have the podcast. We're a recruiting firm too, right? So we interview candidates yeah. all day long. And when we interview younger people, I mean, so often, Vince, like they are so concerned about work-life balance. What's the culture of the company? Do I have time to, to go camping on Friday afternoon if I want to? Yeah. I don't care. Oh, you know it pays 200 grand a year, but I got to work 80 hours a week. No, I'll take a hundred grand a
1: year for 40 hours. You know what I mean? Like they are
0: very focused on that.
1: Very focused on that. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, it's, it's good, good preparation for automation. You know, we're going to move into (laughs) automation. And so if we just combine (laughs) automation with UBI, then we've then work-life balance and going camping on Fridays and all of that stuff is should, should all work itself out. You know,
0: great point because that is where we're headed. (laughs) Me and you might be dead by by then, but that is where we're headed. We are we are headed towards a world where uh, automation and AI and robots and all that do a lot more, and people just work a lot less. We are headed headed that way. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We Can have to make
1: more? sure we have to make sure that UBI happens so that like all of that automation doesn't just create more profits for the people who own the companies, <laughs> that we're actually routing that back into the workers whose jobs are getting replaced. So, like, UBI is, like, a key aspect of of that whole system working, of that whole future making sense. Couldn't agree more. Let me ask you this, a couple of things,
0: Um, a couple more questions here. These are touchy – these are, well, I don't know, sensitive topics these days. Uh, Let me ask you this, because you you seem – you're a very smart guy. Obviously, your EQ is super high as well. And you also don't have a problem speaking your mind on topics. I'm assuming that's the vibe I get. Sure. What what are your thoughts on CEOs of companies speaking out on social media and taking sides on sensitive topics? Now that you're a famous CEO, uh people know yeah. who you are. You know, you're you're now in that category where you have a voice and you have followers and you could yeah. you could speak out on things. What do you think about CEOs doing that? What are, what are your thoughts there?
1: It was tough. So like while when I was CEO, this was definitely a tough thing to, to navigate, you know, like, and that it was one of the things that made it tough to remain CEO. So I stepped down as CEO a couple of years ago. And now I feel a lot more free to be able to just speak. Okay. my mind. But, yeah. but even so, like, I think that um, there's certain things that are not political like human rights, for instance, mm-hmm. or equal rights, you know, mm-hmm. like there, there's things that are not political. They are just the they are they are just the right thing. They're just the right perspective to have. And gotcha. I think that like as a CEO, you can speak and should speak for the things that you support as, as, especially when those things are universal.
0: Okay. You know? and
1: gotcha. yep. If you want to go if if a company wants to go down if a CEO wants to go down the path of like, you know, doing the my pillow thing or like going really hardcore one side or the other go for it but i you know i think most companies have audiences on both sides of the right. aisle they have right. customers on both sides of the aisle and you also don't you don't you're not making any progress by just telling the other side how they're wrong mm. i think that you make progress by digging deep into why your views are views that should be that are, should be universally adopted, mm-hmm. and 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 learning how to speak about those. And there's and there's not many you know there's it's like there's not many specific issues that are that they, that are not politicized. But there's these general topics like equal rights. You know, like yeah, yeah, if you want to sure. politicize. Black Lives Matter, <laughs> that's your call. But at the end of the day, we're talking about like treating people equally. We're talking right. about really getting people to an equitable place. That's not politics, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like on BLM, as a CEO, I would totally come out and say Black Lives Matter and and support that movement um, or support LGBTQ movement. Because yeah. that's not politics to me, you gotcha, know? I mean, gotcha, gotcha. Politics. But if it's a political a political topic, you're like, yeah, there's no sense Yeah. Yeah, totally. I, you know, I think um, you you can say, Hey, there's an election coming up. Maybe, you know, be sure and vote, make sure and vote and make sure (laughs) vote on the side of, you know, equal equal rights and human rights You know, know, is so interesting or protecting our democracy or protecting our constitution, whatever, you know?
0: Yeah. It's so interesting. You bring up the politics thing before the election, I had somebody call me, it was a guest that was on the podcast and they said, listen, you got a podcast, you have a voice, you have a following, you need to, You need to come out about, you know, uh, the political side. They wanted me to do pitch a certain political side before the election. And I said, look, I said, I said, listen, here's the deal. I said, half my clients at Ryder Flex are on the left and half my clients are on the right. And I need and I need
1: both. So I'm not (laughs) totally. And and for and for us too, like we're creating an experience at Meow Wolf that I, I think is actually transformative. I think you walk into Meow Wolf, no matter what your beliefs are, and you have an opportunity to. Um, expand your consciousness. You That's know, cool. sub- substance free, and yeah. honestly, like I want people who are from the other side, people who didn't vote for the president I voted for. I want them to walk in and experience meow wolf because there's an opportunity for them to re-evaluate their own belief system, yeah. or their own ethos, or their own you know where they stand on things. And so, like, if, unless you want to just speak to the choir. But like that doesn't that doesn't move the needle, you know. Right, and so right. I'm interested in actually moving the needle, which means that I want to welcome anybody into our space. I'm the same. I always tell people, I'm like, hey man, we can have a beer and talk about whatever topic you
0: want. I'm totally fascinated by the conversation. I'm happy to hear, like, let's you like yellow and I like purple. Okay, cool. Let's talk about it. You know, whatever. Right. I, totally. The same way. Um, what are you gonna do on uh, uh, two last questions? What are you gonna do on or what are your th- thoughts i guess and maybe what are you guys going to do on this 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 covid vaccination with your employees i'm going to assume that you have lots of employees that have already gotten it and i'm going to assume you have some employees that don't want to get it and now we got the osha making an announcement for january
1: 4th what what's what's meow wolf doing you know i probably should know the policy that we have i don't really know it like off the top of my head i i imagine that it's like uh for, it, for going into the office, there has to be, um, either regular, regular, uh, COVID tests, uh-huh. negative tests or uh, proof of vaccine. But like, I don't okay. think for per- personally, this is just me personally talking. I, I don't think that COVID, I don't think the vaccine mandate is really the route. I think the option between vaccine mandate or negative test, nobody should be arguing like getting your nose swabbed every few days like that's it takes 10 minutes it's not a big deal if it comes back negative then fine you don't want to get the vaccine fine but but show me that you have a negative test you know that, gotcha. that to me again not pop not political like what do i do with my body political like that's something that like i don't want to tell somebody what to do with their body i really don't want to tell somebody with, what to do with their body and what to inject into their body even though i'm vaccinated a big supporter of the vaccine you know but like if you go and get a test that that's harmless, you know? So, yep. Gotcha. Gotcha. I was wondering what you got. Yeah. it's it's,
0: That's going to be interesting for us uh, as a recruiting firm, we deal with clients, you know, and they're, and they're, they're trying to figure out what to do and they're trying to make decisions. And then our candidates, some candidates, it's the first question they ask and then we're dealing, you know, okay. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm just ready for all this. I don't want to deal with this. It's hard enough to match candidates to clients. (laughs) Anyway, uh, last. Last question here, Vince. You've just been so inspiring, and I really appreciate you sharing your story. It's a cool story. Somebody needs to approach you about making a movie
1: of what you guys did, did.
0: and I'm I'm being serious. Has
1: that already been done? Has somebody approached you? We have have a documentary out there called Origin Story, but a a fictional version would be cool, too. But yeah, we have a a documentary. Uh, documentary. A
0: fictional version would be... Quentin Tarantino needs to be the director and the producer. I think it's perfect. That's perfect. Like yeah. you guys, I mean, it really could be a cool story, especially showing those early years when you're starving and eating ramen noodles and you're getting fired from the little restaurant jobs, all that. Anyway, um, last question. If you had to put Vince's core purpose in life into a <laughs> sentence sentence, like what? <laughs> What would that sound like? What is, what is your overall core purpose?
1: I, I, I know it well, and I've been, I've been on it for a while. Um, it's, I want to, I want to contribute. I want to contribute greatly to the trajectory of human evolution towards living fully in the imagination, living fully in dream. That's mm. like, ultimately, I, I believe that like dream is destiny, that the imagination is, uh, is the future of human consciousness And that that's like the next phase that we enter into is a a space beyond time and space, um, a place beyond, um, you know, beyond even beyond death. It's like we're in a place of imagination and dream. And I I'm I I just want to contribute to that trajectory. Love it. Vince,
0: thank you so much for being on the Rider Flex podcast and sharing your story. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it.